0: By definition of the Agile, I think they have all the right in the world to say that safe's not Agile. But but I think it would be totally unfair to say that under the right conditions, it couldn't create greater business agility.
1: Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. I'm here with Mike Kottmeyer. Mike, thanks for taking time out of your Friday afternoon.
0: Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me, man. always appreciate being on these podcasts with you.
1: Um, yeah, I appreciate you being here. So we're going to talk about safe today. There was something that happened yeah. on the interweb this week that kind of got you yep. thinking about it. Uh, what yeah. was that?
0: Yeah, so I mean, I don't, I don't spend a ton of time browsing around LinkedIn anymore. I kind of make sure that, it, you know, I don't have any inbound um, traffic coming in or anybody that's trying to really get a hold of me. But I was poking around in my newsfeed and there was a, a post and I apologize. I can't remember where it came from, but it was a, a gentleman who either shared or repurposed or something. A post from a while ago, where basically all the signers of the Agile Manifesto were, in effect, in unison saying that Safe was not an Agile methodology, and and I and I find that just super interesting, right? And so you know, I was reading and just you know just kind of getting myself updated on on people's different perspectives and, and kind sure. of where the industry's at and how they're thinking about it. Yeah.
1: So I. There's this part of me that's got this mental image of all of them mm-hmm. standing around in a circle kicking Dean, but yeah. um, oh. does it? I, I guess hmm. the first thing I want to ask is: Does it matter if Safe is agile or
0: not? Well, well, that's that's actually kind of the point that I was going down, right? Because okay. you know, I had this really, um, you know, maybe, gosh, I, I tell a little bit of little history here. I want to say it was two thousand seven, two thousand six, maybe. Um, I got involved with the APLN. You remember that group? I don't, mm-hmm. even, I don't know if they're yeah. like around that. Yeah. right? It was the Agile Project Leadership Network. And a lot of really interesting people. Christopher Avery was in it at the time and a, a guy from Denmark named Oli Yebsen, who I became pretty good friends with, Dot Tutor. I met her through that. You know, a bunch of the kind of the OGs um, in the Agile community. And during that time, I got to meet Alistair Coburn. And, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this publicly. I've become friends over the years. And, um, but I mean, the first time I was sitting next to him, it was literally like sitting next to a rock star. I was like, oh, that's You <laughs> know, I was like super excited, right? I was like super geeked over it. Um, and, and, and still he remains to this day one of the most, um, foundational thinkers in the Agile community. The one I resonate with, with the most. You okay. know, I haven't followed him down the hard Agile path, even though it's brilliant and it's simple. Um, you know, we're kind of in scale and transformation and, and things, but um, super influenced by that guy's thinking. And sometime after that, a couple years later, I got to spend some time with him and David Span up in um, North Carolina. Okay. And what was cool about it, just got to talk, just talk a lot about personal stuff, got to know each other, right? Um, you know, did some fun things. Um, Whitewater Center up there is cool. And but but during that conversation, I just got that just was asking him some questions. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he said, and this is like early days of scaled agile. Right. So so I don't know that the backlash had it really hit. And we were talking about scaled agile. And he said something and I'm paraphrasing that was to the effect of like what we <clears throat> invented when we. When we were building these methodologies and defining mm-hmm. the Agile Manifesto, it was like a thing, right? Mm-hmm. And and you know now I'm kind of ad libbing here, but that thing sure. was like small teams, co-location, on-site customers, in- iterative and incremental delivery, yeah. continuous yeah. feedback, continuous deployment, right? All the things that we that we do, right? And and he goes and he goes, it's not that scaled Agile is bad, it's just that it's just it's just not what we invented. Yeah. Right. And so and so like the way that I think about it is 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 it is it agile by the definition of agile in the agile manifesto? Or is it in the same class as methodologies like XP and Scrum? Right. I would suggest no. Right. I would suggest yeah. no. But, but to your question, does it matter Um, What what you're asking yourself is, is does safe have the opportunity to enable greater business agility? Yeah. Well, and I I think at some levels, I think on some levels it could be. Yes. But but the devil's in the details. Right. Because there's just like just like a lot of people are going through the motions of doing team scrum. Right. And and not actually able to get the business benefit out of that. You know, obviously, there's tons of organizations that have gone through safe uh, implementations and aren't getting the business benefits bits from those. So, right. so like I've, I'm pretty good at distinguishing between does the methodology work and have people actually created the conditions for the methodology to work. Sure. Because you know, in Scrum, you know, you got to you have teams and teams yeah, have to operate the backlogs, working tests of software. You right. know, with safe, it, it's similar. It's like you you have to have encapsulated value streams. I mean, you have to have it organized mm-hmm. in a way that it actually leads to agility, right? You know I mean? It's like, it's like properly applied. Yeah. I think it can make a difference. And I think it can lead to agility, not necessarily agile per se, you know, that's how I think about it.
1: So there's, I think this might resonate with you, but I want to check in on it. There's this part of me that when I first encountered save, I felt like all those agile guys, Alistair and everybody else, they had tried to take all the project management out of project management and make it as yeah. pure a thing for them to work on as possible. And I felt yeah. like Dean went and got all those project management tools and put them back in the hands of a bunch of Agilists, which was they were like, what is this wrench thing? And they just kept using it wrong. And I felt like yeah. that's, that was one of the challenges mm-hmm. with Save is that people were not using it right. Um, And even when I would talk to people other than Dean and they would talk, explain safe to me, it made no sense. But when he talked to me, it made sense. And his basic answer was people are asking these questions. I'm just giving them an answer.
0: Right. So the scaling
1: thing was there. I think Uh, the scaling thing was there from the beginning. Maybe that wasn't what Alistair and everybody else was worrying about. Well, Wasn't that question always present?
0: So at the time that, at the time that, agile emerged in the marketplace 2001 mm-hmm. signing a manifesto you know i think about like what i was doing during that time because i was in project management at that time so i was clearly doing my share of the pmi stuff right and you know pmi you know to this day i believe still has the idea of rolling wave planning progressive elaboration right there's nothing in the pmi framework that says you have to do big upfront design or that you have to be powerful right. um and then you know rational unified process right so rational unified process was a way i think an early stage way of trying to figure out how to operate incrementally and iteratively mm-hmm. um in a in a larger scale framework and so rup is rup's clearly not agile for the same reason safe can, cannot be agile but could uh rationally unified process increase agility increase early risk mitigation increase constant delivery like yeah yeah for sure um can i ask, can I ask a question we, about that yeah, really quick? yeah, like- yeah, sure. yeah. I, want to I had never an agile though,
1: yeah, I, I had never thought of this before. This will only take a yeah. second. but yeah. to me, what makes safe like dissonant against agile is the same thing that makes rub dissonant with agile. and it's there's just so much stuff you're supposed to do. How do we get it down to this pure, clear thing where I'm just building something in a couple of days?
0: So here's like the challenge, right? So, so if you were doing like a small team agile project, like like we have a small dev team in leading agile that builds an internal product that we have, and you know we barely use Scrum formally. I mean, we have, you know, we kind of have a notion of a backlog in Jira, and and uh, you know we meet on regular cadences, but you know we're not doing story point estimates, we're not doing burn downs and things like that because like at the end of the day, I just don't really care, right? As long yeah. as we're incrementally putting things in market and figuring out and learning and adapting, then, you know, that's all I really care about. So I don't even care about the formality of scrum, um, in my own world. Um, but, but as you get into more environments where you are using other people's money or non-discretionary dollars, and you're trying to build something for market on a schedule, things like that, then, Mm -hmm. then more structure and discipline, even at the single team level is appropriate. Okay. What, what starts to happen at scale and, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm just saying it's what it is. You have, you know, very complex ecosystems and, and it's not just the software that is is complex. Right. So we have you know, we have the technical architecture, right. Poorly architected software, you know, sometimes poorly designed systems, things that are not inherently modular. Right. Um, the value stream encompasses other parts of the business, marketing, sales, finance, legal, Right. All this kind of stuff, Um, sometimes like professional services and support and custom development and and things like that. And so so in the presence of of dependencies between teams Mm -hmm. and more complex external environments that have to be dealt with, then what what safe really did is it came along as it said, okay, this is how we're going to group larger teams of teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the only answer, the only thing other than, than really RUP or Small Team Agile when, when SAFE emerged was, um, you know, it's really a concept of Scrum Scrums. And I'll even mm-hmm. tell you an interesting thing, right? So, so I actually believe, um, you know, as I've talked with Alistair, I've gotten to spend a little bit of time with Jeff Sutherland, um, uh, a little bit of time with Jim Highsmith over the years. And one of the things I was explaining, we have this pattern that we use often. Where instead of a scrum of scrums, like what we'll have is we'll have multiple agile teams that are as independent as we can possibly get them. But sometimes Mm -hmm. there's um, requirements, dependencies, cross-cutting concerns. Sometimes there's technical dependencies. And we'll create a small work group. Um, In the early days, I used to call it a product owner team. And I would get like uh, different points of view, not different people, but different points of view, like an architecture, senior developer point of view, product point of view, like an analyst or a tester point of view, kind of a project management point of view. And what right. we do, and I did this in my early days at Checkfree before I even became like a, an agile guy. And what we do is, you get this small group of people, and we'd ideate on the backlog, and we would okay. we would sequence the backlog, and we would create design aware user stories and sequenced, and, and sure. what we would do is, we basically run features through a kanban, and then mm-hmm. the the feature kanban would feed user stories down into the team level. So, as the teams were developing user stories, okay. they would roll up into features, and then features would get integrated and deployed. Right. So and, that sounds like so, a scaling model that you came up with. Well, it was like a, really in the early days, right? Because we were trying to do, we were trying to basically, we were formerly a waterfall company. Um, we had RUP officially sanctioned. The teams were in practice doing Scrum and XP okay. at the work surface level. But really complex environments where we had dependencies and cross-cutting concerns mm-hmm. and, you know, requirements that had to be in sync and lined up. And, you know, the teams just weren't independent. Right. OK. So so long story short, sure, the only the only metaphor that Agile had offered to date for orchestrating across multiple teams is this idea of Scrum of Scrums. And the problem with Scrum of Scrums for me has always been at least as commonly implemented. It's very reactive. It was it's like the way it was described to me originally. It was like, well, the Scrum Teams do their daily stand up and then all the scrum masters get together and they do like a scrum of scrums where they're all talking about impediments across teams and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And and what I would always see in practice is that like every team pretty much overcommits the sprint and there's not a lot of slack in the system. And so if we discover a dependency through the course of the sprint, like what do I do with it? Right. I can escalate it and I can put it in somebody else's backlog. But now it's in my backlog. The other team's backlog is at capacity. And they mm-hmm. can't resolve the dependency for me in the course of the sprint, and so right. my user story gets pushed until they can sequence it in their backlog. And then there's maybe prioritization or contention or yeah. bottlenecks that kind of a thing. And so what I offered to to Jeff, we were he happened to be in town for a for a um, he was doing a CSM class and and I think he hosted it. it he came to our user group in Atlanta. And then a lot of us went out to dinner and drinks afterwards it was kind of a context okay. of this. And I asked him, I said, hey, you know, I've I found, um, you know, the kind of scrum scrums pattern kind of problematic. And and, you know, this is what we've been doing to overcome it and He goes, that sounds like a great idea do that. And I went, yeah, oh, fascinating. So he wasn't like like it wasn't him that was being dogmatic. He basically yeah, yeah. identified a pattern of coordination and was like, yeah, like do what makes sense. And and yeah. I actually had a lot of respect for him after after that. I always respected him, but I had more respect for him after that because I'm like, oh, it's not the inventors of Agile that are being incredibly dogmatic. It's like us practitioners out here right. that are taking it and being really dogmatic about it. It's so but that's the same so thing, thing with kids, Safe
1: and Dean. He would say the right. same thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, my only thing with Dean and Safe one time is you know when Dean wrote the Agile Software Requirements book. Um, or Scaling Software Agility book, I think was the first mm-hmm. one he wrote. Um, I was like, crap, that's the book I wish I would have written, right? And and I got to meet Dean. I want to say we were in Colo- not Colorado Springs. Um, doesn't matter. Fort Collins. We were in Fort Collins um, for like okay. a Lean Software and Systems Consortium thing. And a few of us were getting inducted as fellows into that. Me and Dennis Stevens were out there. And, and I've, you know, I've been friendly with Dean over the years. Friends might be a little strong, but we've been friendly with talk. We know each other are, right? Um, he quoted me yeah. in one of his books one time, which was pretty cool. And, and I said, Dean, I said, like, here's the challenge, man. It's like, it's like there's huge organizational design issues that are getting in the way of being able to do these methodologies. And, and I think that's a huge gap. And I think leaving that gap unaddressed, I don't think I said it this strongly at the time, but it's irresponsible right. because people are applying this wrong. And he goes, yes, yeah. yeah, I get it. I'm, it. But he, but he was very explicit. It's the org design is totally out of scope, and it's the domain of consultants. And I was like, okay, fascinating, right? And so, and so, what Dean is selling is a methodology that rides over top of, um, at least theoretically, a well-formed organization. And, and so I think of the okay. conditions that you have to create in order to really implement safe is, is and I think you need encapsulated scrum teams at the work surface level. And I think you need yeah. encapsulated value streams or encapsulated release trains, but, but it's like anything. It's like whenever there are dependencies in place, you have to figure out how to manage the dependencies and yeah. where agileists get in trouble, I think is when they start doing agile and they say either we'll resolve the dependencies late or the teams will self-organize them in some way, or we just ignore them altogether. And when you do that, right, you create a tremendous amount of disruption and chaos in the delivery process. And so what I suggest is, you know, so getting back to our question is safe agile. Like agile is a small team methodology that is um, is very heavily predicated <clears throat> on the idea of complete cross-functional teams, access <clears throat> to a customer, The ability to to potentially ship every week or two. Um, Most organizations do not have that, right? So they're they're using SAFE in the, or excuse me, Scrum in the absence of that condition being created. I would suggest that most SAFE organizations are using SAFE in a way um, where they don't have the right level of encapsulation. And so so but regardless, I would say even a, a well done safe implementation and they may exist right a well done safe implementation um is is i, I the, the language i use for our stuff it's like it's a compensating control um in the presence of dependencies and i actually ripped okay. that off from chris peel who's on my leadership team um as he he came out of a really heavy xp software craftsmanship background and when he joined us 5 6 years ago you know, to his credit, he really suspended a lot of disbelief and was like, why are you guys doing this? Why are you doing transformation that way? And he, and he went all in and, and as he started and he actually gave me that language, I was very appreciative for it. It's like in the presence of dependencies, in the presence of poorly formed teams, in the Mm -hmm. presence of corporate governance and heavy command and control and all those things, right? There's things that you need to do to be able to compensate for the lightweight, um, nature of, Scrum and okay. and those compensating controls ideally are um, rolling wave planning, progressive elaboration, sure. incremental and iterative delivery on some sort of more frequent boundary, right? So so it's like, is it agile? No, right? Can you can you do Scrum at the team level? Sure. Are the compensating sure. controls defined in the manifesto? No. Are they defined in Scrum? <laughs> no, right? And so the way I look at it is like I'm a solid believer in the underlying reference architecture of Scrum. Um, I I think Scrum, excuse me, the underlying reference architecture is safe. I'm getting my methodologies mixed up. I think the underlying architecture of last, safe, Discipline, agile delivery, um, what we do typically in our multi-tier models and leading agile, um, I think they're all based upon the same reference architecture type patterns. And okay. what we do is we get down to different reference implementations based upon your assumptions about dependencies. And okay. and I think Les has it largely right, but but the problem is, is that they assume away a lot of the dependencies that exist in most real organizations. Safe okay. um, kind of acquiesces to the dependencies and doesn't suggest that you do anything about them other than manage it. Right. And, and my, my point of view is in between, like, you know, when we hit like a base camp one agile implementation, we're going to do teams, we're going to organize, we're going to understand dependencies, we're going to orchestrate dependencies heavily, we're going to do roadmaps, and we're going to look ahead work. And we're going to um, manage the heck out of those dependencies. Where I think safe goes wrong a little bit, is that it's, it's defined as like the methodology for doing things at scale. And, and, okay. and I think, and I think what it does is it encourages people to say, this is it. Like, this is what agile means for you because you're a large organization. And, yeah. and I think that's why there's so much flack because it's not like it's 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 like setting itself up as the desired insight. And would, wouldn't you say the it,
1: same of less or that or any of them like Nexus? Oh, I mean, they're, they're so all doing been, that. I have a
0: fairly nuanced, I have a fairly nuanced opinion on those methodologies. And, and again, I'm, I'm not deep into it. So, you right. know, if anybody wants to blow me up over it. It's, it's totally fine. Um, you know, the way I look at it is it safe's kind of an orchestration mechanism in the presence of dependencies. Um, mm-hmm. I think less largely, um, less largely, assumes away the dependencies and describes a model for how multiple teams would kind of roll up into more complex software if okay. they didn't have dependencies between them. And every team was operating independently, but in a in a broader, more Sounds integrated, awesome. complex software environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the way that I understand the way that I understand discipline agile delivery, and it's been a minute since I read Scott's book. But um, in large part, it was it almost was like a um, like it was a progressive elaboration, like it really read to me a lot like inception, elaboration, construction, transition from Rob, because mm-hmm. like and again, I don't think he uses these words. But again, it's probably been 10 years or something since I read that book, um, the, the way that I and we don't encounter discipline, agile delivery in the wild very often. But but the way that rationally unified process was structured is you have this inception, elaboration, construction, transition. And the way that you used to implement ROP with Scrum was very similar to disciplined agile delivery. So we would be sprinting. You could have a sprint zero, but your early sprints are validating that the business problem is solvable and will be accepted in market. Right. So it's almost mean okay. startup-like where yeah. we're, do, we're running experiments to see if the business problem is valid. And okay. then elaboration, that's where you get into, like, we understand the architecture, we understand, and this is another, uh, Alistair Coburn thing, the idea of a walking skeleton. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what are the use cases, um, or user stories that are going to prove and validate the major architectural decisions? Because we okay. want to take, we want to take technical risk out during elaboration. Um, mm-hmm. in construction, we're, that's where we've validated the business problem. We've mitigated the technical risk and now we're, just kind of iterating through the okay. system, and yep. then and then as we're handing it off to the client through transition, then we're um, it's not that the client's not seeing it or maybe even not using it, but again, right, we're talking about a different class of scale and a different time yeah. in the evolution of software development, right? Okay. So I look at I look at disciplined agile delivery is almost like um, Scrum with a with a RUP Inception, elaboration, construction, transition wrapper. Okay. Again, I don't know that, that it says that anywhere in Scott's material, but that's how I interpret it when I read it. And then, you know, Nexus is I always found somewhat impenetrable. It almost it almost struck me as like not really a scaling mechanism, but a way of like in, inspecting and adapting and building a scaling mechanism dynamically for your okay. for your company. Like I'd, I'd never I never really read Nexus as um, particularly prescriptive in anything. Okay. You know, but again, right? what you're what these these, you know, quote, scaled methodologies are trying to do is, you know, in the presence of uncertainty and risk when it takes a lot of teams to be able to deliver a large project. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you could you can make arguments that like, oh, well, we shouldn't do large projects and they're bloated and there's too much overhead and we should have smaller teams of craftsmen I'm like, sure, right. we got it. right, But it's just not the reality in, in most organizations. Yeah. Right. So. So, you know. Again, I, I think of SAFE is is like a transition pattern. Um, okay. We actually, again, in an early stage transformation, we have to have more compensating controls than SAFE even prescribes. Um, most of this, a lot of the SAFE um, challenges we see are from poorly formed organizations that are doing insufficient, um, insufficient backlog management ahead of PI planning. They get yeah. PI planning and they're kind of like making up the backlog. They don't make it up. Granularly enough, and so then they don't get as clean an idea on where all the dependencies are. The dependencies are not sequenced across the teams because you think about like if you're dealing with dependencies even in a PI in a release train, mm-hmm. like like the way that you deal with dependencies is you have to front load the dependencies, right? So so you have to you have to reduce the risk of those care dependencies, first, yeah, which yeah, which means that all of you know to the extent possible, all of the dependent user stories need to be sequenced early in their respective sprints. So mm-hmm. that we, we reduce the risk of late integration, we reduce the risk of identifying dependencies later, something not working, what have you. And so without some intent, I just find in practice that that just requires more than getting people in a room for two days, right? Yeah. That, that, that thought work is, um, is pretty important. And so, so I've, I've moved to like in an organization that wants to do safe, like I'm, I'm fine with that. But um, I do a lot more backlog grooming in advance, a lot of more readiness in advance of the PI planning, and then let's get everybody in the room and and now we kind of know what it is we're doing. We can talk about the dependencies and talk about sequencing and all these different things and what we think the release scope should be. So I right. think there's like I think there's room for compromise in all of this. But again, going back to the original hypothesis or the original statement, is that what the uh, the signatories of the manifesto were describing? no right, but it doesn't but don't mean you it's think bad, i mean right? it, it, it almost bad.
1: seems to me like th- those were questions they couldn't see coming it's it's sort of like saying what did the people that wrote the declaration of independence think about music streaming i mean when when the problem yeah. that alistair and everybody else <laughs> was solving then was how do we get past all this waterfall nonsense and and give a team autonomy and purpose and, yeah. and let them figure out their own way which they fixed that problem and then somebody went yeah, but what if we have 200 teams in the organization? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. uh, figure it out. Yeah,
0: yeah the, yeah. the biggest the biggest problem that I see with all this methodological work, right, is, you know, I, I go back to, like, I think through, and, and I might not have my history exactly right, but I, I think I'm, I'm close. Like, that methodology, I think, came out of, like, Rally Software Development and BMC. I think, like, Israel Gat was involved in that. Uh, Dean was there as an early stakeholder in um, Rally, and you know what? What I suspect that they did is they they had a certain set of conditions at BMC, and they built a methodology around those conditions. Okay. And and I don't know anything about what was going on during that time, but but you know I'll assume it worked, right? Or else why would they? You know, I'm just assume it worked, right? So like I I always say I think I think every methodology works. Every methodology has worked. Um, in one place at one time. It was invented for a context, yeah. right? Yeah. And then what exactly. we do, we do is we take the practices um, that worked in that context, and then we think we can lift and shift the practices without instantiating that context. Right. And, and so like when we go in, it's like it's like if somebody says, hey, I want to be less, I want to be safe, I want to be disciplined as delivery, I want to do pure play scrum, I want to do lean startup, like cool, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't care, right? Um, What I care about is that the conditions are created to do that methodology well, because the worst thing that you could do is like a really lightweight, lean startup, crystal clear kind of approach um, if you're one team of 100 that's operating in a 50-year-old COBOL mainframe platform. You know, it's, it's like that's just, that that's, just some not challenges, enough. Yeah. that's not enough structure, right? And you can't mm-hmm. just wave your hand and say that the teams will figure it out. That only works if the team is an encapsulated entity. You know, can you think about like, like what is a scrum team? Scrum team is designed to be like a black box. The input is the mm-hmm. backlog coming from the product owner. The output yeah. is working tested software. And um, I know this isn't popular anymore, but I, I I'm a big believer in like stable velocity, sustainable pace. Right. So we want yesterday's weather. We want team to be operating um, at this pace indefinitely. And and I believe that the only way this works is if you can establish stable velocity against a known backlog, then you can start to anticipate um, time and scope. Sure. Or excuse me, cost sure. and scope against a, a set time.
1: Just to, to maybe get past the part that you just dangled the fish above all the sharks, do, do you want to say that when you say stable velocity, that would also be akin to a continuous flow of work through the system?
0: Well, so not, not necessarily, right? Um, just before they all start When I started, okay, tweeting. so let's, we'll, we'll get on we'll a little bit of a rabbit <laughs> hole and see if I, can, if I can pull back up. So back in my version one days, um, the whole idea of no estimates came out. And what what no estimates was really, in my opinion, fundamentally saying was that um, you want to basically have continuous um, continuous flow and on whatever period of performance, you count the number of things you built and um, and and that in effect is your velocity. So don't worry about estimating. Don't worry about sprint planning. Don't worry about planning poker. Don't worry about stable velocity. Just just build things. But but that entire movement, in my opinion, is predicated on the idea that you've broken things down to where they're all very similarly sized. And and I would suggest okay. that if you are breaking things down with sufficient understanding that they're all similarly sized, you're in yeah. effect estimating. Right? And so okay. so I think it's a little bit of a semantics game, right. right? Um so yeah, if you want to break everything down into, you know, using planning proper words like a one yeah. or, or three or whatever, and you're pretty consistent. But like <laughs> if you have if you're counting the number of things, and you've got a few um, twenty ones in there, and mm-hmm. a bunch of ones, and the occasional eight, and occasional thirteen, then right. you know that's Different not going to give. That's not going to be very predictive in terms of um, being able to anticipate anything. So it probably doesn't matter. Okay. And and again, kind of like in my world with my team, it's like I don't care. I don't care what their velocity is. I don't care what their sustainable pace is. It's like they're producing value for me, and that's all I care about. But, okay. but I'm a, I'm a relatively unique environment for a developer yeah. and most corporate things are like, they've got a budget, they've got a timeline, they have to have a pretty good idea of what, um, is going to be produced, right? All that kind of stuff. So, so, so stable velocity for me, um, and you know, I learned this from a boss I had probably almost 20 years ago, um, you know, cause we still had the idea in the scrum guide of a sprint commitment and, and the way it was described to me before I even read my first agile book was the team can sign up for whatever it wants to sign up for. Mm-hmm. But, um, but at the point it commits it, it needs to do it. And if they realize they overcommitted in a sprint, they can back off the next sprint, and they can, they can mm-hmm. operate at a more sustainable pace. But, but to me, the only thing that, like, and again, most corporate environments, and, and I'm not saying this is every team everywhere, but in general, like, for whatever the period of performance is, I need to know the size <coughs> of my backlog. Mm-hmm. And I need to know the velocity of the team, right? So which is the measure of okay. points or whatever can get done in the course of a sprint. Yeah. And, you know, if I have 200 points in my backlog and my velocity is 25 points per sprint for the team, then I know it's going to take me eight sprints. Or if I have to be mm-hmm. released in four, then I need to – I can only do take half the Take out some
1: points, yeah.
0: I mean, that's just the – to me, that's just the way it works. I mean, that's like Mike Cohn, okay. Agile Estimating and Planning 101 stuff, yeah. right? It's so and so um, and I think that's the only thing that separates. So, like, if, you know, if I'm talking to a team and I'm like, I'm like, do you guys have stable velocity? And they're like, no. I'm like, do you guys have a a backlog that's planned at least several sprints, probably a release in advance? Like those are indicators that that team is not going to stabilize delivery. And I can guarantee you they're not making any commitments at the end. Uh, of a release, okay. and, I, and I and what stems from that is that the business is probably really frustrated with them because they can't make promises. They don't. And those problems
1: are going to exist yeah. regardless of whether you're doing Scrum or Safe or whatever. I mean, those are just yeah. problems in how teams function, like a fundamental well, thing. Well,
0: so so the hard part is, yeah. So it's problems, but they're but they're fixable problems. Like the okay. the number one thing that that we do is. Like the the number one thing, right? So, I mean, we do a lot around teaming strategies and dependency management and stuff like that and mm-hmm. breaking dependencies over time as we move through base camps. But the, the key insight probably hit me 18 years ago or something. And it's like okay. a small group of, of people that are taking epics to features to user stories, three mm-hmm. to four sprints up to a release ahead of the team. And what we find is that you can, you can do a ton of agile, right? You get scrum to work. You get you get everything to work. You get continuous flow at the feature level across teams. Um, right. You can get that organization incredibly predictable. Now, does the team get to decide everything about what they do? No. Does the team get to decide everything that's in their backlog? No. Right? Is the team necessarily working directly with a customer? Like no. And, and so maybe that's not agile, right? Okay, fine. But but it's team based, iterative and incremental delivery. That um, behaves a whole lot like an agile team, right? It's just yeah. that it's just that it has to be coordinated because we're doing more complex deliverables, and it's just really difficult to self-organize across. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just yeah. saying in general, it's just it just it just doesn't happen, right? People tend to want to locally optimize. They tend to focus on what they're responsible for, um, especially if there's you know, personality challenges across teams and complexity yeah. that's difficult to understand. Right? It's just it's a mess, right?
1: So there's this part of me that's thinking about the whole idea of um, working software over comprehensive Comprehensive documentation documentation. and tying that back to agile. And I'm thinking what their intent was, was deliver valuable stuff for the customer, whatever, if it's agile.
0: Well, remember back. But but if that's
1: true, why are they then like, you're not agile? Like who cares? Well,
0: well, well, because, because again, it gets back to that, that Alistair quote, it's like, it was a thing, right? They invented a thing, right? It's like, it's like people will ask you, and I know they asked me, it's like, well, how do you do Scrum if you don't have product owners? Well, you don't, right? Scrum requires a product owner. It's like, how do you play chess without a king and a queen? How do you play chess without the right size board? How do you play chess without pawns? Like you don't, right? So Scrum is a game that is defined as um, a team of, you know, Mm -hmm. five to seven, product owner um you know scrum master it, it describes the rules of engagement it describes the way of operating that if you can properly install will guaranteed work it's sure right there's just no it's like i remember but, but that's that that's
1: day. the rub right there properly install yeah. is a really well, tall well, order.
0: well so well so but here's like this again like i i get really hung up on this stuff like um You know, Schwaber, I had two Schwaber quotes in a talk I did a few years ago. And one was something like, um, you know, you can't argue whether scrum works. It's like arguing whether chess works. Either you play the game or you don't play the game. You play by the rules. You don't play by the rules, right? Um, And then the other thing he said was something like 70 or 80% of the teams doing scrum won't get the business value that they expect from it. And because, right, the the fundamental kind of – Predication of Scrum is you start doing Scrum, Scrum will show you your impediments and then the Scrum Master works to resolve the impediments, right? Well, if the impediments are um I don't have the right skills on the team. If the impediments are I'm working on top of a um a legacy mainframe, tightly coupled code, and every time I change something, something else breaks. If, okay. if my constraint is the release management practices of the organization and I'm a single team, right, you can't fix those things, right? The Scrum Master can't resolve them. So what happens is that we have an army of people that are running around going through the motions of Scrum. They see yeah. the impediments. They can't do anything about them. So they start ignoring them. And then they start bending Scrum to be able to accommodate the dysfunction of the organization. And that's not <laughs> the way it's supposed to work, right? Which and is so, the same thing so, they do is safe. Same thing they do with SAFE, 100%, right? So 100%, right? So so the reason why I became so adamant on this idea of systems-first transformation is, so sure, it's some upfront planning, and sure, it's some organizational design, and sure, it's some architectural work. But if I can get the teaming strategies right, the dependencies identified, the orchestration mechanisms in place, an an agreement across the organization about what dependencies we're going to break over time – how we're going right. to improve, the, like, like all that stuff is like knowable, right? And you don't have to just start doing scrum and discover it and stub your toe and, you know, yank the organ. Like there's, there's a way of knowing these things. Same with safe, okay. to your point, right? Safe is, and again, the way I look at safe, if properly done, it's really just all those independent agile teams operating at the work surface level, and we're going to roughly group them into release trains, like, um, you know, value streams and such. And sure. we're going to put a big planning event around it. Like, OK, cool. Like, party time. Like, I have no problem with that. Yeah. Right. But again, in the presence of extreme dependencies between teams or extreme dependencies between your release trains or value streams or what have you or right. portfolios. Right. Anytime there's dependencies, it's going to get in the way and you're going to put in more orchestration roles. The only way to deprecate the, you know, again, like we're not like real big on like the safe implementation details, but the patterns, I see why Dean put them in there. Because in the presence of dependencies, you have to have orchestration mechanisms. So Mm -hmm. if you don't want the orchestration mechanisms in safe, then what you have to do is you have to deprecate them over time. And okay. here's the problem, right? This is some of the bad behavior that, you know, sometimes we'll we'll get the opportunity to come in behind another consultancy that is taken, um, you know, maybe a very pure play, agile point of view. And okay. a lot of times what they'll do is they'll take a lot of people out of the legacy organization and they'll go build basically like a greenfield kind of um, like labs type environment. Magical where agile everything's land. Very, yeah. It's magical yeah. Agilent, right? And, you know, it's very much, I was actually talking with this with a client um, earlier this week, and I was quoting Al Shalloway from, uh, he was from Net Objectives, sold Net Objectives to PMI. I think he's out doing his own thing um, at some point now. I, I can't recall the name of his company. But he, he, he had wrote a blog post at one point in time talking about the failure mode of Agile. And, and it was exactly that. It's like you take this legacy chaotic organization, you create this idealized pilot you enable it with the practices of Scrum, and then you take the Scrum practices and you bring them back into the legacy organization. What does that say? Scrum is, scrum right? is magic. Magic. Oh, yeah. And and so and so. But what you what you forget was was the secret sauce wasn't the daily standups and the the reviews and retrospectives mm-hmm. and the planning. The secret sauce is I had a dedicated team that could release on regular intervals and get feedback from a customer. And yeah. and that will always work if you create those conditions. The okay. only time Scrum won't work is when you don't have the right conditions created. Again, some of those places don't have. Right. Right. Okay. So so my message to my message you know to the signers of the manifesto, my message to the Agile community would go something like this. Right. It's like Agile by definition is is a small team methodology, and if it's multiple teams. It's very lightweight orchestration because the dependencies are are very lightweight. And and if those conditions exist, like do pure play agile all day long. Um, when in the presence of dependencies or poor org design or whatever, you know, something like safe is going to emerge, whether we like safe or not. Something like because you have to orchestrate dependencies. Somebody's got to answer
1: that question of how somebody's got to answer the
0: question, right? And again, I think that I think where I think where safe gets in trouble um, is because everybody wants an easy button. Everybody wants a defined mm-hmm. answer. It is an answer in the presence of poorly formed organizations, lots of dependencies. Mm-hmm. And so, using my language, I would say that safe is a compensating control for when you can't okay. create the conditions to do agile well. And so, so if you wanted to start with safe and that worked, like that's great, right? And if it works for you, it works for you. If it's not working for you, then what you have to do is you have to figure out um, it's it's always dependencies that are going to be the problem, either dependencies between value streams, release trains, agile teams, whatever. Right. And um, so if you don't like the overhead of safe, break the dependencies between teams and, and allow them to operate independently. Okay. Um, I'm just telling you that is, that is not something most leaders can do by fiat because the way their right. organizations are designed and the way their tech stacks are designed it just doesn't lend itself to that. So it, that's what transformation is. Transformation is about creating the conditions to be able to do Agile well. Okay. And, I, and I, I think that's largely the reason why. I'm not saying everybody in the Agile community likes our stuff. I'm not sure even anybody knows like, how many people know about our stuff. But it's like it's like I think we manage to take to lessen the heat, even though I'll mm-hmm. do stuff that's heavier than safe sometimes. Like it's just that's the first step in the journey. Yeah. The fifth step in the journey, Basecamp five for us, is lightweight, lean startup teams that are locally funded directly and and you know with the customer right, all those things, and yeah. and ideally that's where that's where we'd like to go, um you know but pragmatically in a lot of organizations I actually flipped this stat um, across a customer's whiteboard the other day and I don't know that it's it's exactly true but I think it's it's pretty close to true. Is about you know seventy percent of the teams are or seventy percent of the organization is going to be totally fine and like a, for us a base camp <coughs> one base camp, three. and yeah. so that that can be that can be heavier and more plan driven than safe. When I start getting a base camp two base camp three kind of stuff, that's what I'm thinking. Okay, safe is 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 it probably a decent reference pattern, but then okay. there's going to be parts of the organization, you know, maybe 10 percent that's going to want to break all those dependencies and be like totally independent of the rest of the staff. Yeah. But that's just not the whole company, right? There's just certain parts. There's just certain parts in most organizations that are not worth investing in. They're not worth doing the product extraction work. Or basically just keeping the lights on. They might be mission critical, cash cow kinds of things, but they just don't change all that much.
1: And it's not a one size fits all. Like not everybody in the company has to wear the same shoes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We did a we did a a pretty large, I want to say it's about thirteen thousand person. Let's say, gosh hundreds hundred 200 expeditions that's how we slice organizations up and move them through and because uh, we look at transformation incrementally and iteratively as well right so so incrementally we're breaking a big organization up into lots of small pieces and then mm-hmm. um, uh, that's and then iteration wise we're taking base camp one base camp two three four five right so we're progressively improving each slice as we move that slice to to, to greater um, levels of business okay. agility but I, but I do. I think that's why we've avoided, um, some of the noise in the system over that is because like, it's like, I recognize safe for what it is. I recognize where it right. fits. Um, you know, if you want to create the conditions to do safe, do it. Um, I think you can do better, but if safe's good enough, like, okay, like cool. Yeah. Like do safe. Right. Okay. And, um, and again, I think by definition of the agile, I think they have all the right in the world to say that safe's not agile. But but I think it would be totally unfair to say that under the right conditions it couldn't create greater business agility, yeah. right? And that's really what most organizations are going for. They don't really, you know, give a give a you know about um, whether it's agile or not. And and again, right? agile is never the point anyway, right? It's uh, right. agile is a means to end. And exactly. you know whether you're whether you're looking to change the culture or create a, a more humane work environment or whether you're trying to get product into market faster and generate earlier ROI and predictability, right. Whatever you're going for. Um, you know, there's, there's some sort of business benefit you're hunting. And to me, it doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot what you call it.
1: Okay. Cool. So any, is it agile or
0: not? Um, as, as defined by the signers of the manifesto. Yeah. are trying not, to create right? the soundbite. I don't know. Yeah. The soundbite. Um, well, I mean, it's like you want to soundbite. No, safe is not agile. Um, <laughs> I've seen a lot of environments. So agile is an agile. Right. I mean, I've seen enough small team, small team agile with none of the overhead of safe. that can't produce anything in market. Right. Yeah. So it's like you can. I was having this debate with Dennis the other day. And he was talking a little bit about like why our stuff works and why safe fails and things. And I was like, I was like, Dennis, people poorly apply what we teach them too, right? Yeah. So I mean, it's like, so it's like you have to judge, you have to judge the methodology by, um, you know, the environment it was designed to work in, what it brings to the table, what assumptions it makes, um, you know, and then obviously you have, you know, issues with like how closely can we approximate that ecosystem. How, right. um, you know, even within the proper ecosystem, how well we are applying the approach. And there's just a lot of room for error, right? And cool. so, you know, my general my general bent is, is if we can start getting the organization to unlock value and get things in front of customers earlier, um, that's, that's a win. It's yeah. a win, right? And so, cool. um, by definition of the manifesto signers, so no, not agile. By um, when done properly in the right ecosystem under the right conditions – um, yeah. it can absolutely lead to greater agility for sure. Thank you very much for doing this. Yeah, You're welcome. Yeah, thanks for cool. thanks for uh, jumping on a Friday afternoon and yeah, it was having fun. a conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it.